Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to Rob Observations, our comic book, pop culture, movies, streaming, action figure, uh, collectibles, everything under the giant umbrella of pop and comics. We talk about it here. We discuss it. We 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 we, <laughs> we dwell on it. We dwell on it maybe maybe more than we should, or maybe more than I should. But but these are my uh, lifelong obsessions. They have not left me. Uh, and I'm in my 50s, okay, and and I have been uh, jamming to all of these these uh, these pop culture tunes since since I was seven years old, maybe earlier. But uh, today's episode, we are jumping right in because everybody I know loves a good duet, okay. Everybody loves a good duet. Uh, when when I was young and 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 really starting to get into music. I mean, they were coming right and left. That that the era of the kind of the late '70s and all through the 1980s, the very popular 1980s uh, uh, music scene was was marked by giant name after giant name coming together and making a cool tune. Okay, and they would and and they would uh, re- record some some cool tune. Sometimes sometimes they would record one for their album, and then they would record. One for the other guy's album and the other woman's album. Um, uh, so, so you, so, you know, they they get two bites at the apple. But in, a, in many of these duets, once they did them or they recorded them, they they, they were gone. They were done, never to be revisited again. Uh, I remember one of the biggest ones that I encountered again, showing my '80s up, upbringing, early in the '80s. Uh, uh, the, the the you know mega star of of Stevie Wonder, and uh, and and the mega star of of Paul McCartney, he of the Beatles, who had already had about a, a decades old uh, super solo career, you know, by himself. Uh, they they jammed together to make a song called Ebony and Ivory, you know, and so 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 Stevie Wonder and uh, and Paul McCartney make this great song, and I, I I'm certain it hit number one it was everywhere you could not um turn on the radio at some point without hearing this song later on paul mccartney would then team with michael jackson and they would do a song that michael jackson released on his thriller album and called the girl is mine and then later just just shortly thereafter they did a duet called say 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 which was on McCartney's next album. So this is fulfilling what I'm talking about here when they would like sometimes cut a track for maybe, you know, one act's album and then they would cut another track for another, um, for, for the other act's album coming out, you know, maybe six months, a year down the road in the future. But again, a good duet is, uh, can really get you going. It can get you going. My, my, uh, my uh, family knows I am a huge uh, Fleetwood Mac fan and part of being a Fleetwood Mac fan fan is is loving those those voices whether it's Christine McVeigh or Lindsey Buckingham or um, Stevie Nicks and of course the uh, very sultry uh, throaty um, um, very unique voice of Stevie Nicks was the voice of the you know mid 70s through the 80s she, she had a huge solo career breaking away from Fleetwood Mac and uh, and there was a period of, of almost a year where Stevie Nicks did a duet with Kenny Loggins. She did a duet with uh, Tom Petty, and she did a duet with Don Henley of the Eagles. I mean, these are these are huge, huge hits. Uh, Whenever I call you friend is the Kenny Loggins uh, 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 song. Um, uh, Leather and Lace is the uh, is the Don Henley song, and Stop Dragging My Heart Around is the Tom Petty song. And I wish I could pick a favorite, but why am I telling you this? Because uh, my my son on his drive home from college. Earlier this year, he is very much exposed to me. We've we've covered that 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 so much of what I talk about here is the yacht rock of comics, and I can't even begin to tell you how much like yacht rock this era of rock and roll um, and pop that is from the, again the mid seventies all the way through the the eighties is is heavily uh, it just just played in in all. You know, it's played in the pizza parlors now. It's uh, my my daughter got a got a job this last summer summer job and she's like dad you'd love the place i'm working at this big pizza italian restaurant place uh she she says they play the yacht rock all the time this this certain period 
of 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 time where where they were making a certain kind of uh, party music and 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 uh, it's it's what you hear in the lake and the rivers and, and also there's 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 metal there's all sorts of other music but yacht rock that era actually uh, uh, lines up exactly with the Bronze Age of comics which always makes me laugh like I can't get out of my own kind of time portal that I've, st- I've stuck myself in but it's where I draw so much inspiration and so much happiness uh, uh, like so many of you my, my my son is driving home from college. And he calls me up and he goes, how come you never told me about this song? This song is awesome. And it was one of the aforementioned uh, Stevie Nicks uh, duets. And, and and again, it just got me thinking, uh, uh, you know, I was um, watching some footage from the Live Aid, which occurred uh, 35, is it 35 years ago? Uh, uh, 35, 36 years ago. And and during the, uh, the, the, the end of the Live Aid, you know, you, you've got them reprising their very famous Do They Know It's Christmas song. Now, we have covered the different comic books that were raised to combat uh, the, the starvation in Africa that both Marvel and DC did, and Jim Starlin uh, was the impetus behind both of those books, contacting both Marvel and DC to do, to do these comics and, and to donate the funds and get everybody to jam together. So we love jamming as comic book artists and duets as much as... as as these pop music acts and uh and, and look do they know it's christmas started the whole movement bob geldoff was at the forefront of putting all of these giant british acts together and they had a smash hit that came out uh that that christmas and and it it, it just it just blew up it was christmas of 84 and do they know it's christmas featured all sorts of you know all-star acts in the pop scene at the time well, on Live Aid, they, they were able to expand it. Paul McCartney is now in the song. Freddie Mercury is now in the song. Uh, you've, got, you've got Roger Daltrey in The Who. So, so we love duets. We love jams. We love all-star, you know, riffs. And today, in comic books, there have been a number of what I will call duets. These duets that have nothing but fond memories from uh, fans and, 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 and professionals alike. Uh, some of them... Are, are routinely brought up, uh, and and I'm going to give you my my top list, my top uh, five duets that that I have experienced in my comic book lifetime. Um, one of them you will find I am <laughs> I'm very very familiar with, and uh, so 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 again a duet. It's cool because because sometimes it's like uh, you know some somebody's bringing a little rock and roll to the table somebody's bringing a little pop somebody's bringing a little R&B and those flavors all get worked out certainly the you know Paul McCartney's voice is still going to be awesome and, and have that sweet range and have that sweet sound to it but uh but maybe when he's singing next to Stevie uh, Stevie Wonder or Michael Jackson they're pulling something else out of him and again in these duets in these in these combos that have hit the page that have electrified us as comic book fans that is most certainly the case the lines combine to form uh, another kind of version of these acts. They, 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 it's together, when it works the best, they, they, they become a, a, a uh, this artist and this artist combined to become another artist. And it excites people. And, and uh, so many of these duets I'm going to share with you are unlikely to happen again in comics. I had, I just did an entire issue Snake Eyes number five, uh, Snake Eyes Dead Game number five, this big finale to this G.I. Joe story that I did this last year. I ended with a series of jams. I, I had a different duet on, a duet on every uh, page. Neil Adams, Kevin uh, Eastman of The Turtles, uh, Ryan Otley of Invincible and Spider-Man. I had all the Detroit bad boys, the, the Kayfabe boys, um, uh, Ed Piscor and Tom Scioli. And Jim Rugg, I had my former extreme guys, Dan Fraga, Marat Michaels, Dan Panosian, all immense talents, all came together. And it's been fun to watch people react to how we jammed differently and created different versions of each other by, by combining our unique talents. I love inking other talents. And one of the things that Todd McFarlane and I used to talk about, because we were really leaning into heavily the inking line, because we know how the inking line had affected us growing up. And we've talked about some of the greatest inkers and obviously our favorite one, Terry Austin, and the crisp and, 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 and very brittle and very slick line that he applied to absolutely everyone that he touched. But uh, when we would discuss, so, so we, would really, we were really obsessed with the final product that back then 
more so than ever defined by the inking line because computer color was not a thing yet and computer color sometimes obscures the line art because it is so powerful and, 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 and is such a is such a powerful tool now in the hands of so many of these talented colorists and and it can absolutely uh, obscure the power of the line back when the color was for lack of a better term flat more of more of a flat palette you were able to see the crisp lines so Todd and I were talking about who we would want to ink he surprised me with his answer he told me he would have liked to have inked Gene Colon with all the different folds and the tapestry and the clothes and the shading and that really took me by surprise I wish I could have lived to see Todd ink Gene Coleman, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he could ink him now, as I see so many of you guys do on social media. You take blue lines of pencils that have been sh shared in different um, collections, fanzines. Uh, a lot of people do this with Jack Kirby, and, and it's fun. It's fun to see. Uh, my former uh, image founder, my, my fellow image fan founder, uh, Eric Larson, has, has uh, shown how often he will print out a blue line of a, of a Jack Kirby penciled page from you know his Marvel work, Thor, or Fantastic Four, and Eric will just ink it for pleasure, just to see how that combination would have looked. That's fun. It's available to all of us. There's there's so many things we can do with technology that used to be achieved through only light boxes, and so it's um, it's a real it's a real fun excursion and and, 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 and a fun uh, you know artistic endeavor if you want to give it a shout and try it out. So in 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 truth, Todd could ink a Gene Colan piece, and we can all see how that works. This is the Todd of 1991. So, so it would be interesting to see, uh, because I do know that some of what Todd inks now, I mean, most of it is on the Cintiq. He shows you guys on social media. And when we were doing um, Image United for those several issues, Todd was inking uh, a lot of his contributions, again, via uh, digital inking and then, and then pasting it on another digital file that was scanned from the original art. But Todd over Gene Colan would have been something I would have loved to have seen um, because I, I truly believe we would have maybe seen uh, another, you know, a third artist emerge from that. I have always wanted to ink John Buscema. John Buscema, uh, I've covered him se several times on this podcast. He's on my Mount Rushmore. He's on my, I, I, I go into uh, more greater detail about him and his, his epic contributions, and they are absolutely, without a doubt, epic. Epic contributions to the comic book industry uh, on the Mount Rushmore episode the Mount Rushmore podcast episode. And and I always wanted to ink uh his work given the lines that we had uh that we had developed in trying to chase kind of the uh the 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 Terry Austin look and and and, and the slicker lines and the sharper renderings. And uh while Terry Austin inked several Conan covers, maybe okay, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Three that I know of, three that I know of Conan covers uh, in the 80s over John Buscema, uh, those three covers got my attention. They were really a different um, dynamic over his traditional uh, inkers, the set of inkers that he used, including himself. He inked himself a lot, which were more brush-focused. Uh, Tom Palmer, uh, John Buscema, uh, of, of course, himself. Uh, the, the, these, the, these were brush, more brush-heavy lines, less, less of a croquill um, uh, uh, or a pen finish. And I always thought, man, I really want to put this really slick look on an entire interior job, not just a cover, because then over an interior job, you get to um, find more ways to apply, get, get in deep on that face, on that close-up, okay? And, 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 and not just um, j that one shot of a figure that that's, is so often what, what creates a cover image. So I always wanted to jam and see what it would be like. And of course, just like with Todd, I could print those blue lines out and I could make that happen. And for whatever reason, I never have. But in, in the, I wish I could, I wish I could have. Especially when John, uh, John Buscema was inking, um, was, was, was penciling Wolverine, which, which uh, he launched the Wolverine solo series that Marvel finally uh, uh, decided to go forward with after several uh, successful Wolverine miniseries. John Buscema was the guy, and they felt like this is a perfect reward for um, a man who has brought so much to Marvel Comics, and it fits the dynamic that he's so used to with kind of the solo warrior in Conan, and they gave John Buscema uh, Wolverine. Uh, also, as, as a bit of a thank you, like we want to give you one of the highest profile projects we're going to be launching this year, and which was, you know, the, the, uh, 87, 88, and, and welcome uh, John Buscema uh, 
you know, to 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 the big giant X Men club, and and uh, it 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 hit huge. And those issues, I still ha- have great fond memories. Uh, they collected them in a in a in a black and white format, the the essential format Marvel put out, where you can really see the ink lines. Bill Sienkiewicz, an accomplished illustrator all on his own, inked several issues of John Buscema's Wolverine when it went to a biweekly uh, status and uh, early on in its run. And it's cool. You can see Bill jamming all over uh, 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 John, and you can actually see you know, there's the John underdrawing, but then there's the Bill Sienkiewicz kind of on top rendering his, his the, the the speed. The thing about Bill and I've actually watched him draw. He has drawn uh, convention sketches for me in 1984, 1985, 1986, and and the speed with which that he works and the speed of the line is evident because he can drag that line at such a high speed. It it it, it leaves behind the look. Of a faster, but but not at all sloppy. It's a very sharp, very sharp, quick line. It's just astounding to watch these guys apply their craft. So, who are my top five? We are going to start with a bit of a cheat, and it's a book that Image Comics put out called Phantom Force. I've mentioned it in several different other Kirby-focused uh, episodes of this podcast, but Jack Kirby had um, unfinished uh, an unfinished Bruce Lee comic book that he had done. Uh, to propose to the Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee estate, and uh, upon visiting him in 1993 and seeing all of the unfinished pages, I proposed that we could go forward and have myself and my image compatriots, uh, comrades, uh, uh, finish finish the job. And and he was thrilled. Jack was ecstatic that we would take this kind of interest in his work. I gathered the pages, made the phone calls, began production. Uh, and, and, and kind of became the overseer, producer of this project. And it was with, um, I was so excited to call up Todd McFarlane and go, I've picked out a perfect page for you. You're getting the splash page with all these cool faces and you can apply your craft. And uh, and Jim Lee, you're getting this page. And Mark Sylvester, you're getting these pages. And Eric Larson, I picked out these cool action pages for you. And I set aside two cool action pages for me. And absolutely, I wanted to see Jack but also see me. There's a decision that the finisher or the inker makes when he grabs those pencils of how much of that balance does he want to uh, to shine through. Does he want more of himself, or does he want to still, you know, have the penciler shine through? I've seen it go both ways. I, I have absolutely seen it both go both ways. Now, in some instances, when it's a breakdown and the information is less. It is it is more sparse. It is not as detailed. Your your that decision that decision has already kind of been made for you. You are going to have to put a little bit more of yourself in order to get that finished um, product. Because in a breakdown, you're getting maybe just uh, figure outlines, musculature outlines. You're not getting lighting sources. You're not getting rendering. In 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 cases of the face, you're just getting the basic eyes, nose, mouth, and so you know maybe it's up to you to juice up that cheekbone, render out that face. Um, so, so, so in, in that instance, uh, especially with a breakdown, that decision almost has been made for you, but I have seen full pencils transformed. Absolutely. 100%. These Jack Kirby were tight, full pencils. These were not breakdowns. These were super tight pencils from Jack Kirby, the King. And if you look at them, you will now absolutely have no problem whatsoever seeing Jack Kirby. You will also see a hint of my own twerks here and there, maybe on a face and background, maybe on a primary figure. Same with Todd, same with Mark Silvestri, same with Eric Larson. Everyone kind of jammed in the middle. Jerry Ordway joined us. Um, I'm leaving out some tremendous names. But that entire um, issue is an issue of duets over the greatest comic book artist, comic book creator that ever lived. Jack, these pages were drawn um, in the 70s, so they are in prime Jack form, and we we had the great privilege of finishing that job over him. And so, again, I've mentioned this this job before, maybe in a little more detail than I am now, but without a doubt, seeing Jack inked by all of the image guys, the 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 the, the biggest kind of names of that period, teaming with the biggest name of all time, is a thrill. Phantom Force one and two feature both uh, iterations of different jams of people coming on board. We really had to add and, and spread the love around 
and Al Gordon, other people um, lend their talents to, to finishing these pages, but we certainly had a blast combining in this kind of martial arts superhero uh, themed comic book. So Phantom Force, uh, which features Mark Silvestri, Eric Larson, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, myself, Jerry Ordway, others finishing the king, the king of comics. It's quite a thrill. I, I could not recommend it more highly. It is it is a really fun um, endeavor and it jams up two eras. So, so my number four, my number four pick is, um, and it's so funny because I was there on the floor when Marvel was teasing this. They actually, in the summer of 1983, at the Marvel booth in the um, original San Diego Comic Con, the 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 the, the original um, convention center, which was a much smaller, it's still down the street. My wife and I went there last year. We drove down to San Diego during the dates that would have been San Diego because I could, I just couldn't handle the fact that I wasn't there. And San Diego is so beautiful, and it goes beyond just the comic books to the you know be- beautiful um, views and the climate. And, uh, and obviously, if you've been to San Diego, you know how beautiful it is down there. If you don't, you, 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 you've seen at least some pictures. But it's it's the restaurants, it's it's the venues. So, But I wanted to take my wife to the very first uh, convention hall that they held uh, the, the, the San Diego Comic-Con in, at least when I was a fan and I was a professional. And, and before it moved to the big giant, you know, hall A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, okay? So, so there it was in all its glory. It looked like it, you know, was, 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 it looked like it was left in exactly as it was left in my 80s memories. And, uh, but in that hall, Marvel Comics had their booth all the way in the back in the summer of 1983. They had giant 11 by 17 copies of all of the upcoming books that they wanted to promote. So very, very prominently on the table was the coming of Walt Simonson, scattered pages from his um, arrival on Thor with Beta Ray Bill. And, uh, and yet they did not, uh, uh, they, they, they kept select pages from, from his first issue out, but they're, they're previewing it, they're promoting it, you know, this new direction. But they also had another group of, of 11 by 17 Xeroxes. And nobody could guess the artist. And in fact, Marvel's editors were saying, look, uh, if you guys can guess the artist, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a page of these copies. We'll give you a page of these Xeroxes. And man, if I didn't sit there and rack my brain, the, the editor that was on site there was uh, Ralph Macchio. And he was, uh, he, was, he was getting the biggest kick out of the fact that not only myself, but no one could name this artist. It was very accomplished. It was very polished. It was very um, slick in its rendering. Fantastic storytelling. Fantastic storytelling. And uh, we understood that it was the character of Machine Man, but they had kept the they had kept the credits um, obscured. They had they, they they didn't include that page, and they were not telling you who it was. So it was fun, and I left not knowing not knowing who that 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 artist was that I was looking at and they would announce it a few weeks later and it was uh, a combination of two legends one being Herb Trimpey Herb who had uh, who really made his career on a seven-year run on the Incredible Hulk and we're going to do a dedicated episode on Herb very soon because he he he, uh, his work his body of work his legacy uh, absolutely deserves and warrants a much deeper examination he he was such a sweet friendly um, just beaming, effervescent man. And I was fortunate to um, hang out with him, dine with him, um, grab multiple dinners uh, 2014, 2015 before he passed because he had become a fixture on the uh, on the convention scene. And I was always wanting to ask him tons of questions and Herb was always more than happy to, uh, to, to entertain this mid-40-something man and, and answer all my questions over a milkshake Oh, <laughs> over, over a couple of burgers, over a steak, all the different venues that we slipped uh, away from, mostly mostly the, 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 the hotel restaurants, some occasionally off-site. But Herb was around at a very important time in comics, and so I always wanted to pick his brain. And uh, I did not know that his, his collaborator on this project, because, because Machine Man, as you know, if you've listened, or you, you're, you're listening, that project, 
was a product of two legends, Herb Trimpey and Barry Windsor Smith. Herb provided the Rough Pencils breakdowns, and Barry Windsor Smith put this insane slick polish over Herb, and they made a, a new artist. They made a new version of both of them. Herb's proportions, his gestures, his epic storytelling. Herb is such a fantastic storyteller, seeped in the classics. And, uh, and had so much just kind of basic Jack Kirby in his approach to constructing a page. And when I say that, I say that with the most, uh, the, 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 it's the biggest compliment I can give a storyteller. Herb's storytelling was always spot on. Every, every shot that he picked, you knew was the exact perfect spot, was the exact perfect um, place where the camera should go. Again, he did, he did a seven-year run on the Hulk, almost 80, uh, over 80 issues of The Incredible Hulk. It really put him on the map. It gave Hulk this incredible stability. And guys like myself and Eric Larson have nothing but fond memories because we were on the tail end, at least I was, of his run on the on the Incredible Hulk. And uh, and Herb was always inked uh, by 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 a different inker. Some of the strongest uh, uh, jobs that he did, he was actually inked by a gentleman named John Severin, and they kind of morphed into a different artist to begin with. And that is one of the great Silver Age. Uh, uh, collaborations that, that John would put a heavier finish over Herb's work, but it didn't look like John and it didn't look like Herb. It looked like Herb and John. Well, in this case, Herb is drawing Machine Man. Now, Herb in the late 70s, early 80s was just banking so much work for Marvel Comics. He was doing a bunch of their licensed comics. You've heard me mention his name several times on this show, especially in regards to the Godzilla episode. Um, when, when, when Godzilla versus Kong came out and I walked you through the Marvel Godzilla issues. Herb uh, was the dedicated penciler on that series, uh, drawing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of Godzilla, sometimes battling the Fantastic Four, sometimes battling the Avengers. Um, it, it was just such a blast to watch Herb, but at the same time, he was also doing another licensed product called the Shogun Warriors, which was a line of toys that had made itself to the United States. Um, they are on my, 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 in my office, they are on my floor, next in between my two tables. Um, I, these were some of my favorite uh, giant robot toys of my entire life. And um, there's Ray Dean, uh, uh, there's Matt, uh, Mazinger, Mazinger Z. Uh, just, just an incredible collection of these giant robots. Well, they teamed up and had a Marvel comic book called the Shogun Warriors. And Herb drew all of those issues. Herb would then draw G.I. Joe. Herb drew an, an, a year's worth of Defender stories in the 80s. Herb was always working. He was dependable. He was a fan favorite. People loved his work. But now, delivering this machine man job with this finish that you'd never seen, not from John Severin, not from Joe Staten, not from Mike Esposito, not from any of the inkers that had jammed with uh, with her before. So they didn't tell you that it was Herb. They didn't tell you it was Barry Windsor Smith. They didn't tell you who was combining for this very unique rendition. Barry would actually pencil and ink the final installment of the Machine Man, the Machine Man miniseries. But the first four issues are 100% uh, Herb Trimp layouts, breakdowns, and Barry, who was coming back out, who had left the business, had become more of a commercial illustrator or just a illustrator, a fantasy illustrator, painter. Um, some of his best, most refined works are in a book called The Studio, which details a time in Barry's life where he shared a studio with Bernie Wrightson, um, Jeffrey Jones, and Michael Kaluta. I highly recommend you get your, your, your hands on a copy of The Studio. It is a breathtaking um a uh, book of, of amazing illustrations by some of comic book's best illustrators doing illustrations, not really comic books. But Barry was coming back to the comic scene. He would fully emerge, again, doing so many of these very important and impactful X-Men books. Um, before, uh, you've heard me mention him recently. I mean, this podcast has really been mentioning Barry Windsor Smith because we're in that age. His, uh, his, his Weapon X Wolverine told the origin story of Wolverine and defined Wolverine for every page that followed him in 1990, 1991. And again, when you see Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, Eric Larson, Todd McFarlane all biting off the same artist, that is profound influence. And Barry Windsor Smith has always been profoundly influential. And so him jamming together with Herb on this machine man to make this third artist 
is one of my favorite duets. I highly recommend you seek it out. It takes place in the future. There's a futuristic Iron Man. Um, just, but, but the storytelling, the rendering, uh, again, Barry Windsor Smith is, is, is infamous, famous for his very unique and personal way that he manipulates lines and renderings. It's always something different. He, he, he prides himself on never doing quite the same thing. Even though you can distill certain patterns, he's always going to give you a twist and suddenly there's going to be circular renderings. And, and, and you're like, wow, he's added this to his repertoire or he's, he's showing off this skill now. But the Machine Man 1984, 1983-1984 miniseries is, is just fantastic. It is, it is epic. Um, it, 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 it is an, an example of two artists jamming together, coming to make one. It is one of the all-time uh, best, best um, uh, duets, duets that I um, ha have have ever encountered. And we're not going to uh, we're not going to uh, 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 veer very far away from Mr. Barry Windsor Smith as he's coming around for our next. Our our our, <laughs> our our next um um uh, uh, session and and again Machine Man published in 1984, um, previewed that 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 summer and and just absolutely mind-blowingly stunning, awesome and uh, and 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 highly recommended. It. It's um I'm not sure if it has a recent collection. I know the old trade paperback was really fun. They they may be a little pricey. You may be better off getting singles. Um. You may, may you may be better off getting uh, get, getting your your single issues, and uh, uh, that they may be actually cheaper to acquire. Well, in 1976, shifting but keeping in the Barry Windsor Smith era. In 1976, uh, the the centennial was a big deal. Uh, if you're a young person, you're like, what's the centennial? It was you know, hundred years. Nineteen, you know. Uh, 76 and the and and uh, the, the the 200 years the 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 bicentennial the bicentennial I'm holding it right in my hands just look and read the cover lifo it swept across uh, the United States and became the the super super heroic the super super patriotic moment of my life it was on the coins um it was uh it was on the coins it was on the uh the uh the, the the your money your dollar bills your your quarters your 50 cent pieces there were giant banners there was clothes there was hats um still on the 91 if you drive past the 91 there's a dam uh, uh going towards riverside here in southern california and they painted that dam to reflect the 1976 bicentennial and it's still there it's still there and and it's it's very faded but again it it, it was profound so how would marvel celebrate the you know, celebration of 1776 through 1976. They would do it. Captain America, Bicentennial Battles. Jack Kirby comes along, does an original treasury size edition. You guys know how much I love these treasury size editions. They're more like 11 by 17 in size. Like maybe they're 12 by 16, but they're big. They're awesome. They're fun. Comics are better when they're bigger, when the pictures are bigger. And, and so the Bicentennial, Captain America's Bicentennial Battles, and it depicted him through, through different times periods in time you're going to hear me flipping through these pages but it opens that, that this bicentennial battles which again you're going to get a revolutionary war circle revolutionary war uh captain america you're gonna get a western captain america again they're taking him through the 200 years uh leading up to the bicentennial and see you get to see fun different versions of, of captain america in different eras in america's history okay so so to begin the opening is a sequence Drawn by Jack the King Kirby, drawing some amazing, just fantastic, beautiful uh, Captain America action. And for the first 11 or 12 pages, Barry Windsor Smith is inking the King of Comics. Why this is so unique and fun is Barry Windsor Smith started out his career and uh, looking a lot like Jack Kirby. He was called a Kirby clone. Again, before pivoting on Conan and finding his own voice and leaning into this new rendering and then expanding his illustrations via uh, the studio and, and, and learning from all this different other art that he's exposed to and just, um, um, you know, really, really growing into the, the, the popular, the most popular version of Barry Windsor Smith. This opening sequence, I'm going to count these pages out, okay? So there's one, there's two, there's three, 
We got four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, oh, I'm just, it, it kills me. 10, 11, 11 pages of Kirby and Barry Windsor Smith. The, the, this is the sweet spot. The, this 11 pages where Barry Windsor Smith inks Jack Kirby is maybe the most commercial line Jack Kirby ever had. And, and I'm saying that with in keeping with the fact that I mentioned all the image guys inked him on Phantom Force. The, 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 the clean, polished, crisp, Rendering lines, figure lines. Um, oh my gosh, they're swinging through the forest, and Barry goes to town on this forest. This 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 work is stunning. I was over in Italy in 2019, and they had a hardcover version on slick paper, uh, uh, an Italian reprint. Because come on, I don't have to read it; I just have to look at it. Um, of, of of the Captain America bicentennial battles, and I jumped at it. I grabbed it up immediately. It was it was 15 bucks, marked as 15 bucks in Italy. It, I, I, I looked at it, the entire plane ride home, this, this exquisite hardcover on the slickest paper. Because if you go out and you get the treasury edition that I got, that I still have, that's in my garage, stacked with, very carefully with all my treasury editions, uh, that, that paper is a little more yellow and is not as clean. But on this slick paper, you see Barry, again, working over very uh, uh, tight, polished Jack Kirby lines. And you see the, uh, the, 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 the way that you can see Barry and you can see Jack. And if you're seeing both of them, are, are they really make, are they making a third artist? I, I kind of think they are. And I kind of think it's awesome. And the Jack Kirby Bicentennial Battles opens. I mean, you get to see Jack and Barry drawing Hitler, Nazis, Bucky, um, a, a Buddhist monk, uh, uh, Captain America swinging from trees with Bucky action shots. It is the crispest, most commercial line I've ever seen applied to Jack Kirby. It speaks to the absolute ability and talent and unique style that Barry Windsor Smith brought to every single job. And, and these opening pages, these 11 pages of the Bicentennial Battles are, are, are some of my favorite depictions of Captain America ever. I highly recommend you, you hunt this down. You look at these images. They are stunning. And they are even more stunning on this slick paper in this album format. Uh, that I got in Italy. On, I mean, the, the reproduction of the, these lines is exquisite. So that is one of my all-time favorite duets. So there's three of my favorite duets. Two of them involve Kirby. Two of them involve Barry Windsor Smith. Now we're going to pivot hard. And, and, and when two of a generation's biggest stars, this is kind of like, you know, Paul McCartney of the Beatles jamming with Michael Jackson as they did on their two different hits. Uh, this is the two biggest stars of my youth coming together on a comic book where 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 I've mentioned before that John Byrne did in fact uh, 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 ink George Perez on one page of an X-Men annual that stands out like a sore thumb, not because it's not good, it's just such a departure. It's a brushier line. It's a thicker line than the Terry Austin line. So you saw it. And it took me years to realize that that was John Byrne inking George Perez. Well, George Perez would return the favor and ink an entire issue over John Byrne for a seminal event, uh, an anniversary issue of Action Comics 600. And they let you know this is two giants combining, jamming. Now, Action Comics 600... At the time, George Perez was doing Wonder Woman, and John Byrne is doing Superman. And I've covered the John Byrne Superman. When John Byrne, I mean, he was on the Today Show. That he was his Superman is on Time Magazine. When John Byrne was doing Superman, it it it, it was a giant shift in the comics industry because Marvel's top talent was crossing the street to go give you Superman. This is about a you know year and a half into this run that they've hit Action Six Hundred. So George is going to pencil and ink all of the Wonder Women, Wonder Women, the Wonder Woman uh, shots throughout the job. John is laying the whole job out. He is depicting uh, Superman, Apocalypse. Um, the 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 entire story is penciled by John Byrne. I was able to see the pencils as I was in the offices visiting when I got the Hawk and Dove assignment. I am with Barbara Kiesel and Carl Kiesel. They were married at the time. They were. Uh, writing Hawk and Dove. We were creating 
the Hawk and Dove miniseries together. I had flown out to hang out with them in Connecticut. We took the train in one day to go to the DC Comics offices. I went up to the office of my editor, who I have outlined in my Hawk and Dove podcast I am not friendly with. We, we have There is great animosity, but that editor's name is Mike Carlin. He was editing all of the Superman books at the time. A FedEx package had just come in. Matter of fact, two FedEx boxes had just been had just come in. One was already open. That had about eight pages of inks that George Perez had sent back, where you could see that he was drawing all of the Wonder Woman figures and faces alongside all of the John Byrne, the Dark Side, Apocalypse, Superman, all of the different elements, uh, uh, other elements of the story. George only penciled and inked Wonder Woman on each page. But when it came to everything else, whether it was Dark Side, Apocalypse, Superman, all the different elements I'm I'm sharing with you, John Byrne penciled those and George then inked that as well, providing the glue that held the entire finish together. So there's, you know, when 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 Superman and Batman are alongside punching Dark Side, that is a John Byrne Superman inked by George Perez. Uh and all of the rubble and all of the 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 background, uh, the, the 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 apocalypse location, dark side is also drawn by John Byrne, inked by George Perez. And the Wonder Woman has been gestured out, has been motion her 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 figure motion, her figure space was gestured out and and communicated by John Byrne, but finished pencil and inked and finished by George, who then inks and finishes the whole job, and it is fantastic. And I remember seeing these. Pages, the inked pages. The other that that was the box that was open. The box that they were opening was the rest of the pencils that were then going to be then going to be uh, lettered and sent on to George Perez. And so I saw the pencils, the pencil version of these pages that George would then receive. So I got the pencils coming in and I got the inks coming in. And I sat there and I was just amazed. The two biggest names of my childhood: X Men, Avengers, Fantastic Four, Teen Titans, Captain America. So many hundreds of pages that these guys entertained and, and wowed me and really are responsible for so much of my passion for this medium and these comic books combined for this one extra size story, action comics with Superman and Wonder Woman and George inking the entire thing, including, obviously, as I've stated several times now, providing all of the Wonder Woman pencils and inks. It is a duet for the ages. Action Comics 600. You get two titans. These guys are the two top guys. George is writing and drawing Wonder Woman for DC. John Byrne is writing and drawing two books featuring Superman, the Superman title and Action Comics. And for this one instance, now they've gone on beyond this. In the 90s, uh, a gentleman bought all these X-Men portfolio plates from John Byrne and then hired George Perez to ink them. And those are just as interesting as these pages, just as compelling. But those are one single images, single, you know, kind of poster pinup shots. These, uh, the, the storytelling and, and the inking and the fine inking, because George really fancied himself uh, as, as, a, as a very accomplished inker, and he was. There is one single page in Crisis on Infinite Earths that Jerry Ordway penciled and George inked. He, they flipped the script. Jerry came on midway through the series and Jerry inked the rest of the book. To kind of keep it interesting or keep it fresh, George inked Jerry on one page. I know it because I owned it for about... 15 years, I owned that page. And uh, and it was so fun to own that, knowing it, that that was the script flip, that Jerry, who again, a, amazing penciler, had George come in and ink. George always loved inking his own work. He loved inking his own covers. Like Barry Windsor Smith, I think he has a very, very deliberate, very specific, uh, uh, polished line, uh, very crisp, very very, very pen-heavy. Uh, there's a scratch to it. it. It's really nice. It's very clean. And seeing him apply that to John Byrne was fantastic because on a lot of the different Superman faces, you can see you're looking at some John Byrne, you're looking at some George Perez, and it's fantastic, and I love it, and I can't get enough of it. And and, and when that book came out and it was and, and, and I held it in my hands printed, and I thought back to the pencils that were coming in of the certain pages that I was looking at, and then I was thinking of the inks that I was able to see just pure. One of those pages went up for auction not too long ago, and I really regret not grabbing it because, again, that is a that is a amazing and wonderful piece of history when George Perez inked over John Byrne on Action Comics 600. Two two of the biggest titans came together to make this one epic celebration and it was just a it was just a blast. Highly, highly recommended. So what is my number one? Well, at the uh, risk of being extremely indulgent, I am reflecting only what you have said to me 
over so, so, so many years. There was a period where um, Todd McFarlane said, hey, bud, I will ink over your pencils if you want. I'll do your covers. I was a huge fan of Todd. And again, I thought Todd had a very unique and polished ink line. And so I thought, well, this would be fun because I wasn't getting as much of what I wanted out of each inker. And I felt like I was wor working on borrowed time. When I got to Marvel, um, I used a couple brand new inkers named Tim Dizon. Timothy Dizon was a fresh uh, inker coming up in the business. He was new. He kind of had a crisp Terry Austin line I thought I could harness. Okay, um, I was getting inked by some of the wonderful veterans like uh, Bob Wyacek. I had some pinups inked by Joseph Rubenstein. But I was looking for my own unique kind of combo voice. And, and if I couldn't find it on the interiors as yet, I thought, well, jamming with Todd would be fun. And, it, and if one of these doesn't work out, we won't do any more. But as so many of you know, Todd and I jammed on quite a, a, a lot, quite a heavy number of New Mutants covers. New Mutants 86, 85, 87. If you are looking at the cover of New Mutants 85, it is our first jam together. It is the New Mutants all rushing into the uh, chamber of of Odin. It's I, I'm really. It was a tough cover to pull off. I I I did. The, I provided the layout. You're kind of getting from behind Cannonball and Boom Boom, and they're all rushing towards Odin. And Odin is sleeping. He's in his Odin sleep, Od sleep. And uh, this is towards the end of the. The, the, the New Mutants time on Asgard and I, I would do the last issue where they come home but I only did the cover to 85 but Todd and I inked it and man I went to town on Odin I went to town I just thought oh this is cool get to draw you know the, the, the high father of all the, the, the Asgardian gods Thor's dad I've always followed Thor and Odin and I kind of you know did my Walt Simonson best and then Todd inked the shit out of it it looked amazing it looks fantastic all these very, um, very, very uh, crisp and brittle lines. The, 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 the crisp line, the thick to thins. Todd always used Croquil. He was a fantastic inker finisher. Um, <laughs> hey, that's my alert to keep going. And uh, and 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 I, I I was so excited when I saw this Odin face. I was so absolutely thrilled. And then the book got printed, and that's not our Odin. That's not our um, Odin face whatsoever. What you are looking at is John Romita Sr. who looked at <laughs> the face that I did and the face that Todd did, that the combo, him inking over all my wrinkly um, lines and our bushy beards and saying, nope, that's not how Odin looks to me. And he slapped his own Odin. I asked my editor, did you ask him to do this? Bob Harris said, no, John Romita Sr. didn't think this was on model enough. So there is a paste over on that cover and that cover is still in Todd's possession. I looked at it a couple years ago when I was at his house. And uh, 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 he just, because that's how it was back in the bullpen days. I've seen covers when Dave Cockrum was the cover editor. Giant, generous heapings of white paste, white out, covered, smeared over what he would then just paint right over. The paint is on this thick quarter inch um, mat of white paint that's dried. They just made corrections right on the board. This is a paste-up uh, that he drew it on a separate layer and, and put it right over ours. And so that is forever sealed beneath. And I guess we can take it to a, 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 an art kind of a, a, a manipulator, you know, a, a, a restorer, and he could maybe get it off. But uh, And we could see it again for the first time in years. But when it saw, it saw print, it wasn't us. Um, but anyway, going further, it, it uh, covered 86, covered 87, which introduced Cable. Cover to 88, cover to 89, the cover to 93, I think, would be our last. I was starting to really get the Jones to ink my own work and, and, and ink my own stuff and apply my own ink line from everything that I had learned from guys like Todd, from Terry Austin, from all the other inkers in the business. And uh, Eric Larson had a great ink line. And, and, and it, so it was time for me to ink myself. But those, um, that, that, that grouping of covers, I have heard, I have, I've wandered into entire threads and I've wandered into entire discussions on social media of people celebrating, just completely celebrating the uh, the combination that Todd and I. People say you and Todd together are not Rob and Todd. You are another artist altogether. It's it, the the two become one. It's like we were talking, and uh, I can see it. I can see where where um 
where, where my lines and his lines kind of form a different. Now, on New Mutants 93, the Wolverine cable cover, just so you know, and on the 88 cover, I actually pasted over. Uh, Todd would ink the covers and send to me. And the cable face on 88, I did not feel reflected my face. I felt it actually did look more like Todd. So you, on that page, I did the John Romita Jr. And I light tabled my pencils for that cable face because I felt it was such a departure from what I had drawn. And, uh, and, and, and the combination I didn't think worked out as well. I then inked over Todd's inking of me via paste. And what you see in the printed version, everything else on there, I actually, from the shoulder pads, to make it clean, it's the head and then the top rung of the Michelin Man shoulder pad, you'll know what I'm talking about when you see it, that I pasted over. And I've seen that original over time, and it still has the paste over. So so that's me not being thrilled with how the combination worked out. Also, on uh, New Mutants 93, I was in the office. I was visiting New York when that cover came in, and I asked Bob because I wasn't quite happy with, again, how Cable's face looked. And when you see that... Uh, Wolverine is inked by Todd over my pencils and all of from the neck down is Todd but what you see is me then going over the, 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 there's copious amounts of white out I went to the bullpen they gave me a, a, a seat in the bullpen and I had my tools and I sat in the Ramita's Raider area of the, of the Marvel production offices and I tweaked and got the cable face back to the face that I thought was more reflective of what left my pencils. And see, that's the thing. As much as I liked what Todd was doing, and you guys love it, there were certain aspects that I wanted to get more, you know, more through. That's why issue 94, uh, I'm, I'm inking my own co- uh, covers starting then, and then and then I go off and on. I think Scott Williams comes in and inks a, a few um, in the in-between time, and then by 98, I'm inking all my own covers. But, but that Todd era, and we've revisited, we revisited. He asked me to do a Spawn cover. I think it was for Spawn 200, and uh, I see that cover pop up all the time. People love that. That cover is issued as a Spawn kind of clip art for Spawn news stories because it's a very memorable uh, shot and look. And again, when Todd and I jam, the fans really seem to dig it because we become that third artist. But in those instances, I'm just telling you this for your absolute interest, like your own. You may see what Todd had done over my pencils and prefer it. I had a very specific version. It's interesting also that both instances are when they are cable on the cover to 88 and then the cover to 93 i am 100 percent asserting that that, that that i want the cable to look more like like i intended him in the pencils to look and so it's interesting it's both it's cable both times but you guys have spoken um we did an x-factor cover x-factor 50 that people just flipped out of to this day um and that was really fun getting to draw all the original arm casters and temple touchers that make up the original lineup of the X-Men. You guys know I'm doing that tongue-in-cheek, but it was a cool montage with the X in the back, and I, t- I penciled that as tight as possible and, and was still blown away by the inks that Todd provided on that cover. The cover to 89 with Cable battling uh, all the different um, mutants, uh, Blob and Pyro, especially our rendition of Blob. Todd, he just you give him a big, giant kind of monster figure face, um, and he's going to go to town. He is going to just make that sing. But the Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, I regret that we didn't do an entire book together. You, you would have seen, or at least 11 pages, like Barry Windsor Smith inking Jack Kirby. Again, is this indulgent? Of course. But it's also, um, when I when I jump online and I, and I talk to fans, these are the books that they love. And that New Mutants 87 cover is so, um, is, is so uh, uh, just renowned with that, for that time. Um, and, and people just dig it, and they, and they love it, and it's a, a striking image, and I could not be more pleased that we jammed together in the way that we did. Again, uh, uh, when, when we did Image United, Todd did some some tweaks and some finishes, and it was fun. Matter of fact, on a couple of pages, Todd just felt like he could put a little more tweaks onto not only myself, but Wills and to Eric, and it was fun. It's really fun. It's fun when we all jam together, and that's what this episode was all about, the duets, the duets, and, and, and the times that other artists have come together and jammed. Sometimes it's sneaky. Sometimes it's Art Adams inking a page or two over Mike Zek in Secret Wars 12. That you go, hey, wait, that doesn't look like John Beatty inking Mike Zek. Matter of fact, this looks way more like Arthur Adams. Well, it is Arthur Adams sneaking in there because it's an all-hands-on deck, and we've covered those issues as well. Art Adams, X-Men... 
annual part of the Asgardian Wars that they handed pages out on the spot right in front of me as a fan, the editor, to a, a, a battalion of anchors, all of whom returned the next morning with other pages. And I'm talking Al Gordon, I'm talking Joe Rubenstein, I'm talking Art Nichols, um, so many, uh, Bruce Patterson, all of these different anchors that were there at Comic-Con. And, 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 and it would be fun to honestly, I've, I've thought about flying in with an 11-page story to a four-day show and finding 11 artists and having them all ink it on site and having a bonus if they actually do finish it while I'm there so I can leave with those 11 pages. Those are the fun aspects of jamming and doing duets together. But those are my top five favorite duets of all time. Maybe you have some of your own that you will no doubt share and tell me how erroneous my picks are because it's the internet. It's, it's, it's social media. That's what we do, right? It's fun. Um, so, so here's the deal. Starting with, uh, as, as, as I... As I, uh, I've pointed out, you, you, you just can't get, get away from Jack Kirby being inked by all the image guys on Phantom Force. And then the Herb Trimp, Herb Trimpy, Barry Windsor Smith, Machine Man that blew an entire generation away. Then Jack Kirby being inked in the best possible way, in the best possible representation of, of his work by Barry Windsor Smith. And they created like the third guy, okay? And then, come on, John Byrne being inked by George Perez. Action Comics 600, and then all of the McFarlane Liefeld jams. I have heard this from you. I have seen, for, for so many of you, we are George Perez and John Byrne jamming on those covers. We're, we're your favorites. And again, that's why people do duets. I, I, I was trying to think of like some recent duets, but there's always been the power of, you know, duets. Dr. Dre and Tupac jamming, you know. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, they, they, they do it in hip-hop. Um, um, so often, and it creates these memorable, memorable flows and 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 acts and songs, and and we love seeing when our favorites get together and they do these killer duets. And today, this is what it was all about. Hunt those down, check them out. You are you are sure to be entertained. And I just always so much appreciate you guys coming along for the ride. And thank you for listening. Thanks for jamming. Um, we will no doubt. I've left out five other of my favorite duets, and I'm going to get to those two because we can always tag on these shows, build them out, um, um, maybe discuss some of yours um, because I'm sure, I'm absolutely certain there are some that I miss, but I love them and I love getting in on them. There was a time, uh, a gentleman named Jose Garcia Luis Lopez, one of the most outstanding, dedicated pencilers, inkers. He would pencil and ink his own work at DC Comics. He inked a John Byrne Titans job with, with Wonder Girl and Cyborg and Robin and the, the Teen Titans that George had made so famous. And I actually picked up some of those pages a couple years ago and I study because it looks like Garcia Lopez and John Byrne. You can see both of them. And that's when it works the best. That's when we are the most impressed. So this is the time, you guys, when I share your um, various uh, 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 reviews that you have left for me. And, 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 and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it and how much I truly, truly um, are am just so blessed by the fact that you guys uh, 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 leave these reviews for me. Um, so, so I'm going to read this new one that is left by Forge, P H O R G E Forge. It says, "Rob Liefeld is my comic book sensei." Hello, Mr. Liefeld. I hope you and your family are staying safe physically and mentally during this period of global uncertainty, as a pandemic, climate change, and social injustice seem to be ravaging the country and the rest of the world as well. One way my family and I cope with this new everyday reality is by immersing ourselves in escapism. And for me, personally, that includes a heavy dosage of all things comic books, which includes comic book-related podcasts. Yours, my friend, is easily the best. I usually listen to it when I'm at work or driving around town. Your knowledge in the subject of comics is unparalleled. After listening to your podcast, I quickly realized how little I actually know about something I truly love so much. I feel like you are our comic book insider, spilling out all the industry secrets, tidbits, and insights to all us fanboys and gals who aren't lucky enough to have walked the halls at the Marvel, DC, or Image offices. I absolutely love how you totally and relatably, his words, geek out over the beauty, subtlety, complexity, and spectacle that is comic book art. A true fanboy. Thank you so much for all your art and storytelling over the years and for educating me on something that I hold near and dear to my heart. The funny pages. Okay, Forge, P-H-O-R-G-E. You have touched me deep. I I'm donkey talking to Shrek. You touch me deep, Shrek. Forge, this really moved me. Um, 
I, I so appreciate when you guys share as you have. And uh, when I get out uh, 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 and, and I visit stores and, and I, I am able to meet with the fans, so many of you guys, I went to pick up my order of snake eyes that I had I'd put with my local store and some of my, my, my Deadpool variants. And there were some um, gentlemen who came in, some folks who came in and they stopped and, and talked to me about the podcast. And it just touches me so much that you guys are listening to it and sharing reviews like this only help the show and and I and I and I cannot thank you enough for taking your time out that was a very long detailed um uh just very thoughtful uh uh review that you left and I thank you so much Mr. Forge uh P H O R G E thank you for leaving that you guys um the the reviews and 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 the, and the ratings that you give this show matter they help us so much and you guys have been just behind me the entire way I cannot begin to thank you enough so if you could keep doing that, I will read them at the end of every show. I thank you so much for participating in each and every episode of Rob Observations. You are so good to me. I love blathering all that I love about comics to you. And today we did all the duets up. So I am all over social media. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Woo, that's a mouthful. With the blue check, at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. That's me. That's really me. On Instagram. Rob Liefeld, R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Simpler, got the blue check. That's really me. I love reading uh, your guys' DMs. You guys DM me constantly. Um, I love hearing from you. Um, I, I love your comments. Thank you. Continue to, to, to give me the feedback. I'm all over Facebook. I'm on social media. As you guys know, I love talking to you, hanging with you, exchanging ideas, concepts, your reviews, your thoughts. Thank you so much for interacting with me. I am humbled by it. This is a comic book dream come true for me. Uh, you guys are going to take care of yourselves. You know how, what we do here. You know the drill. And you are going to stay safe above all things. And we are going to talk again real soon. Mm-hmm.